16, which is on page 589 of the Green Bible. <clears throat> Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can those who are young keep their way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word to my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to, to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, Justin, thank you very much indeed for reading and for agreeing to being on the reading rotor. Thank you, all of you who, who serve, on, um, serve this church in some way. You don't serve a rotor. The, the rotor is the kind of administrative way in which uh, we release gifts and passions that uh, enable this church to be what it is. So thank you, every single one of you. And thank you, too, to Newcastle United, who agreed to be on the rotor yesterday to be thumped by Fulham. Um, that was really good. West Brom are next, and uh, we look forward to that. I'd love you to keep that open. I'm, I'm going to ask you to, we're going to have a little sort of rummage around the scriptures today. Um, so we'll be sort of thumbing our way through. I'll give the page numbers so that we can find that nice and easy. But let's just ask God to inspire his word to us, to make it alive to us as we sit under its authority. Father, here is this space now for us to delight in your word, to read it and to mark it inwardly digest it so that it would feed us and inspire us and teach and guide and correct us that your word would be as the psalmist says a lamp to our feet and a light to our path so we ask by your spirit lord to feed and teach us now in jesus name amen amen uh, those of you who are regular with us, you'll know that what we're doing this term is um, unpacking our DNA, looking at our core values. What is, it, what is it that makes us who we are? If you're a visitor here, it's really good to see you. Welcome. Uh, and I hope that something of what we kind of stand for, what we think is important to us, resonates with uh, you and your life and your church, if you're a part of one somewhere else. We're looking in the month of January at our three core values, adoration, belonging, compassion, our, our spirit-inspired worship of God, our adoration, this sense of belonging to one another as we belong to the family of God, we'll look at that in February, compassion, loving as Jesus loves, that sends us out of our kind of holy huddles, out of this building, and to love our local community in a lost and needy world. So we'll unpack sort of what lies behind that, and uh, today is we're, we're still very much in adoration, of God. We want to look at um, the importance, the value, the beauty 
of his word to us, the Bible, God's word. And so this the, the sort of uh, subtitle on our, our um, values, and it occurs to me we ought to have these printed out on the, we'll, we'll make sure we do that next time, have them on the, uh, the service sheet. But uh, one of the things that we, we value is submitting ourselves to the authority of the Bible, God's inspired word to us. We choose to submit ourselves to the authority of the Bible, God's inspired word to us. And, and that's written on these, um, these, this sort of A5 leaflet that uh, I'm going to, as a little route map for the next 15 minutes or so. The authority of the Bible, the word of God. I love how uh, the psalmist in this psalm that we have uh, read for us, just the first bit of it, it goes on, it's quite a long psalm. Um, it's uh, an, kind of an acrostic poem, and the writer is just pouring out his love for God's decrees or statutes or precepts or commands. Lots of different ways of describing the Bible, God's word to us. God's word is living and active, the writer of the Hebrews says in chapter 4, living and active. It's interesting, and I've made this point before, but it's worth rehearsing it, that when we think of the whole of creation. How is it that God is described as bringing creation into being? Genesis chapter 1. Did he manufacture? Did he design? Did he make creation, the world and everything in it? Well, we could argue, yes, he did. But how does the Bible describe what he did? God said, let there be light. God said, let there be land and water. God said, let there be living things. God said. Creation came into being. You and I came into being at the behest of God's word. God's speech act. In, in Hebrew, the, the, the sense of the word, it's, it's not this sort of anemic little bit of print on a page. It's, it's something that as, as the, almost as the breath goes out, the words go out from a person, so something is formed, something is created. As the words go out, we get, we get an insight of, of who it is who's speaking. And who it is who's speaking is creating something. God said. And the whole of creation, and you and I as the crowning glory of creation, an expression of, a sort of physical, physical expression of God's word. And of course, in uh, a kind of mirror of Genesis 1, John chapter 1, John chooses to open his great gospel account of Jesus by saying, in the beginning was the... Will's awake. <laughs> Will's on the road to for being awake this morning. <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, yes. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John says. And he goes on to say that the Word came and lived amongst us. We could feel him, see him, touch him, know him, living and active. Jesus, the ultimate expression of God's word to us. John says, in him was life. In that word was life. And so, uh, as the writer of the Hebrews says, the, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It gets right into the very essence of who we are. God's word speaks to us. And so as part of our adoration, we submit to the authority of the Bible, God's inspired word to us. And you might say, hang on a sec, 
I, I'm, I'm okay, I can understand that God speaking it, the words coming out of God's mouth, forming creation, forming us. And Jesus, the ultimate word, who lives amongst us, and we see Jesus, we hear his teaching, we see what he did, how he atones for us and brings us into relationship with God. Yes, God's sort of speech acts, his own words, or Jesus as his ultimate word. But wait a minute, haven't you made a bit of a jump there, Tim, between God and Jesus and this book? How, do we, how is it that we get to call this book the word of God? I mean, God himself, yeah. Jesus as the ultimate expression of God, yeah. But this book, just a little, just, a, I just go with me on this. How many of us, when we were at school, as a punishment, were made to copy out passages of this book? Was that just me? I know a few, there are a few, yeah, a few of us. Yeah, what did that sow in me for some time, you know, that sowed in me a, a hatred of this book, if I want to put it too strongly, because it was a punishment. It made no sense, I just had to write out some kind of meaningless text uh, as a, a punishment on my, uh, and a, a sort of tax on my time and effort uh, and other interests. How have I made that jump? And that's why I think I'd love you to turn to uh, a passage that we'll perhaps look at in our house groups together. It's on page uh, 1155. It's Peter's second letter. We're rooting ourselves, uh, regulars, you'll, you'll know, in uh, 1 and 2 Peter. This is 2 Peter. The second letter to these uh, scattered Christians in the early church. He, to, he wants to make this point. And again, it's the second heading on the, the notes. As he's, uh, it was seen in his first letter last week, praising God for all that he's done in Jesus Christ. And then he says, verse 16 of chapter 1. Verse 16 of chapter 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We didn't follow, we didn't, uh, uh, yeah, we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about Jesus. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I think this is a key verse in the context of understanding how God's speech act, God's word, links with scripture here. Peter is one of those key links. What he's saying to these early Christian believers is, you may not have met Jesus, and he would legitimately say that to each and every one of us. We didn't meet Jesus. We didn't see God's ultimate speech act in the flesh. But I did, Peter says. I was there on the mountain, verse 17. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from, uh, from the majestic glory. It's kind of that's jargon, really, for heaven itself, saying, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He's referring to the Mount of Transfiguration when God appears and speaks on the mountain in a cloud and affirms Jesus. Peter was there. And he knew it just resonated deeply with his whole being. This is God in human form. And here's God's voice attesting to that. And what I'm telling you now, Peter says, is as an eyewitness. I was there. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven 
when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And so as a result from that, Peter, who knows his Old Testament scriptures, can say in verse 19, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In other words, that which he'd read and sort of longed for, he realized now by the inspiration and revelation of the Spirit, had come into being. All that the prophets looked forward to in Jesus, realized, manifest. Peter has supreme authority, unique authority, as one of the apostles, one of the the followers and the eyewitnesses of Jesus to say, I saw the word made flesh. I saw how in the spirit, everything that had been said before and foretold came and it was fulfilled and realized in him. I testify to that. You can trust my witness. You can trust my testimony. And as it's written down here, And we might add John's at the end of his gospel. Many things done. But these things, John says at the end of his gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. John, one eyewitness. Peter, another eyewitness. Affirming the voice of the prophets, affirming what God himself said of Jesus Christ. And it's written and recorded for us in this book. So that Christians through the ages may legitimately say this, because of the eyewitness account and the witness of the Spirit, this is the word of God to us. Handed down, age through age, people, people, community and communities, they've fed on it, testified to it. Their lives have been uh, flourishing and nurtured by it. This is God's word to us, the supreme authority of scripture. And as a church, we value that. As a church, we cherish it and we choose to sit under its authority. We submit ourselves to the authority of the Bible, God's word to us. Thirdly, we do it because Jesus did it. Maybe that will be my first point. And uh, on the back, you can see that uh, uh, there are questions here that can dig into a little bit more of Jesus' use of Scripture and his coming under the authority of it. But uh, we'll see just very quickly, when he was tested in the wilderness, time and time again, he referred to Scripture. It is said. It is written. Not his own experience or his own ingenuity, not what a sort of committee thought or a kind of you know, seven effective habits of a would-be Messiah. None of that, as useful as they may have been, his ultimate authority when faced with precise temptation and testing was the word of God. It is written. It is written. His first sermon, he took uh, as a text the prophet Isaiah familiar to him, and he spoke from that. When explaining the gospel to the the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, and explaining what it is that had just taken place with his death and resurrection, they were perplexed and bewildered. They were, you know, confused and grief-stricken. And uh, Luke records that beginning with the prophets, 
and the scriptures. He took them through a systematic theology, if you like, to explain what God was doing in his life, death, and resurrection. The word of God was Jesus' authority on earth. And the word of God is our authority on earth. I, I dug out a dusty tome. And I thought this might be of interest to you. Since we are uh, gathered here as Church of England, this is uh, Canon A5 from the 1974 Church of England Worship and Doctrine Measure, which is almost as exciting as it sounds. Let me quote. You can see it there. The doctrine of the Church of England is grounded in the Holy Scriptures and in such teachings of the ancient fathers and councils of the church as are agreeable to the said scriptures, my italic. In particular, such doctrine is to be found in the 39 Articles of Religion, the Book of Common Prayer, and the Ordinal. That is to say that there's a fair degree of authority uh, around that sort of helps to shape the worship of the Church of England. There's, there are various reference points, but what I want to point out here is that according to this measure, and the, the, if you like, the authorities of the Church of England, the supreme authority is Scripture. The doctrine of the Church of England is grounded in the Holy Scriptures and in other authorities as are agreeable to the same. And so our ultimate authority as Church of England, our ultimate authority as Bible-believing Christians is God's Word through the reliability and inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. What does that mean for us? Well, very briefly, uh, just one real practical thing. It, it is actually that most of the books of the Bible, uh, God-breathed, as Paul writes to Timothy, God-inspired and useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness so that every one of us might be fully equipped for every good work that God has for us that we live lives on purpose, as we were looking at last term. Well, most of those books were written not to individuals, but to, to groups or people or a nation. And uh, that's why I think the, our reading and study of Scripture, though I hope you are able to do that as a discipline on your own, on a regular basis, whether you just download uh, all sorts of um, you know, uh, stuff on the internet and... and uh, uh, these sort of regular blogs and so on that are really helpful, just sort of a daily portion of, of Scripture and a little bit of understanding, a uh, bit of explanation to help feed us on a daily basis. So we may use Bible notes or we may be following through a book, whatever it might be. Just reading chunks of Scripture and asking God to speak to you through that. However it is, I'd encourage you, if you don't do this already, to augment that by meeting with others. It's, it's one of the key things that we treasure and value as a church when we meet together in our house groups or in our triplets or even just in twos or threes to feed on God's word. Time and time again, I've heard people testify to being in a meeting and someone saying that someone else had looked at a verse they'd looked at, maybe they were very familiar with. Uh, they read it several times in the past and yet this person drew out an insight. I believe more certainly it would have been God through that person just shining a light so that uh, scripture can be even more deeply hidden in our hearts that we may not sin against the Lord. It's just an example for me, uh, two days ago, um, I was, uh, Alan's very kind, he sort of counts me as one untimely born to join his business and his lunch. If you're a, a man in, in business working in the city, you're really welcome. Just grab Alan at the back, he'll tell you about it. 
Um, and every now and then I, I go along to great lunch. And uh, very often we'll just look at a little, maybe just a sentence of scripture. Uh, and as we were talking there, I've, I've read on a number of occasions the story of Job and the book of Job. And particularly the first few chapters. The, the middle bits get quite hard work. But the first few are where we hear of um, Job's life systematically being stripped away. He loses his house and his livelihood. He loses his servants. He loses all his cattle. And eventually he loses his wife and his children. They are taken from him. They're killed. He's left with nothing. And Job chapter 1 and verse 20, and I must have read this several times in my life, and yet I'd never seen this, and I think it was Alan actually who, who drew this to our attention. It, verse 20 of chapter 1 in Job just says this, at this, when Job hears the news that he's lost everything, he tore his clothes, he shaved his head, and he worshipped. Seen that. I, knew, I knew the kind of theme of the book. I knew Job's integrity and Job's character. So in one sense, it didn't surprise me. But I hadn't actually... It was like a sort of ta-da. It was literally like someone I'd been going around in the gloom. And it's Alan then just switched the light on for me. And I saw, my goodness, even amid severe tests and severe trial, our call is to worship. To worship God. Job could do it. He's there as a, as a sort of model, a pre-Christ model for us. I just found, goodness, if Job can worship in that context, then how much more will the Spirit empower me to praise God and to worship him whatever is going on? God's word speaking to me afresh. I didn't see that for myself. Someone else helped me. And that's why, and with this I want to finish, uh, I've got these, um, well, two things actually. On the back of the, of the little insert are some questions that uh, some based on that passage in 2 Peter, and some other questions as well, which it might be helpful if you were to have a look at, begin to think about how you might answer those questions yourself by looking at the passage, the Bible passage itself, and uh, thinking it through, so that if you bring them to house group on Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it is you meet, or, or come along, join the house group, perhaps for the first time, then it's not just the leader kind of dragging everyone through a study, everyone's thoughts prepared and uh, so that the study is that much more enriching. Because I know time is precious. It's not always easy to devote as much time as possible. So these verses, uh, th these um, questions here on those verses in 2 Peter to help us to prepare. But, but also, I've just drawn up this little sheet and uh, it's an A4 sheet. Uh, there are copies at the back there. I've got it on my computer if, you, if it'd be easier for me to mail it to you. Just entitled, Making the Most of Reading the Bible. Um, and I've got a kind of a metaphor and an overview for how we might get the most out of our Bible reading. But on the back, uh, an approach, techniques to use. Techniques that can help us in understanding what the Bible says, understanding how we might interpret what it says, what does the Bible mean, and techniques to help us to apply the Bible to our lives. What does the Bible mean to me, to us? Uh, so I offer these. I hope these techniques on the back are helpful for our individual study, but also for our group study when we meet together, so that we can get the most out of God's word. The psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. We value God's word to us through the Bible. 
and we submit ourselves to the authority of the Bible, God's inspired word to each and every one of us.